Welcome to the Business Bookshelf podcast. Today, our guest is Scott Anthony. Scott is a strategic advisor, writer, and speaker on topics of growth and innovation. He has been based in Singapore since 2010 and currently serves as the Managing Director of InnoSites Asia Pacific Operations. I talked to him about his new book, Eat, Sleep, Innovate, How to Make Creativity an Everyday Habit Inside Your Organization. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Business Bookshelf podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. Like you, I'm a lifetime learner and find books one of the best ways to do this. The purpose of this podcast, then, is to interview authors of new business books, get insights into their thinking, lives, and businesses, all in a light, friendly manner. As I said in the introduction, today I'm speaking to Scott Anthony. Here is a little bit more about Scott. Between 2009 and 2015, Scott served as the chair of the Investment Committee of Ideas, IDEAS Ventures, a $110 million venture fund co-managed by Innosight and the Singapore government. In 2017, he won the Thinkers 50 Innovation Award, which recognizes the thinker has contributed the most to the understanding of innovation over the last two years. He also debuted on the Thinkers 50 list of the world's most influential management thinkers. Scott is the co-author of Eat, Sleep, Innovate, How to Make Creativity an Everyday Habit Inside Your Organization. Leaders have experimented with open innovation programs, corporate accelerators, venture capital arms, skunk works, and innovation contests. They've trekked to Silicon Valley, uh, to Tel Aviv, and everywhere else to learn from today's hottest, most successful tech companies. Yet most would admit that they failed to create truly innovative cultures. There's a better way, and it all starts with the power of habit. So welcome to the podcast, Scott. Lance, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time. So, Scott, where am I speaking to you from today? Well, I am inside our office in Singapore, so I, I, where I've been based for, for 10 years. It kind of feels like I've been in the country for 10 years this year, although I did actually just get back last week from an honest-to-goodness business, business trip to the United States, which was pretty exciting to do in the midst of a pandemic. Wow. Um, and I've been to Singapore once, although you're the first person from Singapore on this podcast. Um, but I need to go through to Australia. So if I were to get onto a plane again and go specifically to Singapore, um, what would you what do you enjoy doing in Singapore? What would you take me to to go and see while I was there? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I, I'd say there's there's a couple things that I particularly enjoy about Singapore. It is an extremely modern city, so that there's not very much history in Singapore. You know, the, the country itself is a reasonably young country. It's 55 years old. And so you see a lot of big gleaming modern businesses and modern buildings. But the, the two things that I really like in Singapore is despite the reputation for being a big, densely populated area, there's just a lot of green space in Singapore. I, I live mm. right by the Botanic Gardens in Singapore. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And one of the benefits that I have received during the pandemic is I, because I live right next to it, I've gotten to walk and explore each and every inch of the Botanic Gardens. And it is a very beautiful, very tranquil place. That's one thing. Mm. And then second, the restaurant scene in Singapore is truly outstanding. You know, you, you can find Michelin star restaurants where you can drop a few hundred bucks on a meal and you can go to a hawker center and spend three Singapore dollars and get a legitimately great meal. So you <laughs> name it, you can find it here. You can pay any amount that you want to find a meal. You can do it on top of the 52nd floor of Marina Bay Sand. You 
could do it underneath mm. the ground, whatever. Any type of food you want, any price point you want, Singapore has it for you. Mm. And, and Singapore is a really wonderfully run country with a good government. And, you know, I believe it's clean and, you know, just well, well run and, you know, nice place to live, I believe. Um, uh, one of the stories I tell people just about it being a, a clean place is, you know, we're, we're members of something called the American Club here in Singapore, which is one of, of the, the social clubs they have. And there was one time where I met my family there after work and my wife had brought a, a swimsuit along with me and I went swimming and, and I just forgot to bring another pair of shoes. So all I had was my work shoes. And I just decided I would walk home barefoot. And it's about a you know kilometer walk at the time. And there is no way that I would walk through New York City or Boston or London, other, other places that I've spent a lot of time in barefoot. I mean, you wouldn't go two steps. But in Singapore, <laughs> I got home and my feet were actually pretty clean. Wow. So that's, uh, that's Singapore for you. Fantastic. Uh, so, Scott, before we get on to your fantastic book, Eat, Sleep, Innovate, could you give the listeners a bit of an overview of your career uh, and, you, you know, how you got involved with InnerSight and maybe even your role at InnerSight? Yeah, the, the reasonably short version of the story is 20 years ago now, back in the fall of 2000, I was a second year student at the Harvard Business School. And I took a class called Building and Sustaining a Successful Enterprise, taught by the late, great Professor Clayton Christensen. Mm. Christensen that year had co-founded InnerSight with Mark Johnson, who is still my colleague, I intellectually fell in love with Christensen's research while a student of his in the fall. I ended up doing an independent research study with him in the spring, then spent two years as a researcher with him. We co-authored a book together called Seeing What's Next. 2003, I joined InnoSight, and 17 years later, here I am. 2003 to 2010, I helped to <laughs> scale up our operations in the United States, then moved out to Singapore in 2010 to help scale up our operations out here. And at InnoSight, the core of what we do, we are a consulting company. So at our core, we are advising large established organizations, helping to empower forward-thinking organizations to navigate disruptive change and own the future. So mm. it's as simple as that. Can you tell us a bit about the purpose of the book? Why did you end up writing it? And maybe a brief overview of it. Uh, absolutely. So at its core, Eat, Sleep, Innovate tries to address a mystery. So the book is about building a culture of innovation. We define a culture of innovation as one in which the behaviors that drive innovation success come naturally. The behaviors are not rocket science. They're things that I think people would reasonably agree around. They're, it's about being curious being customer obsessed, being collaborative, being adept in ambiguity and experimental, and being empowered. So the mystery is the behaviors that I detail there are all pretty straightforward. Mm. The behaviors that I see evidenced in my four children, my oldest child's about to turn 15, my youngest is four. I don't have to teach them those behaviors because as children, they naturally enter the world as curious, creative, experimental creatures. Yet, large organizations struggle to consistently reliably innovate. So the mm. book tries to address that mystery. Why is it that these natural behaviors are so hard for organizations and what do you do about it? And the short answer is pretty simple. Organizations exist to do what they're currently doing more effectively and more efficiently. Innovation is something different that creates value. So if you want to innovate, you have to break the routines, rituals, habits. You have to break free of the institutionalized inertia that pulls you back to yesterday rather than pushing you forward to tomorrow. And we've got a lot of ideas about how to do that in the book, but the specific tool that we focus on is the thing that we call a beam. A beam combines together a behavior enabler, artifact, and nudge. 
The behavior enabler goes after the rational part of our brain that helps us make decisions. It's a checklist, it's coaching, it's community to help you do that step-by-step -step process of habit change. The artifact and nudge goes after our unconscious where we actually make most of our decisions. It's the indirect way to encourage us to do different things. It's the picture on the wall that encourages you to think about customers without you realizing it. Mm. It's the leaderboard that you receive showing that eight of your colleagues are doing something better than you that motivates you without you even realizing it to try harder. It's an office design that encourages collaboration without you having to think about it. And the idea in the book is if you purposefully think about creating these beans, behavior enablers, artifacts, and nudges, you can break the institutionalized inertia. You can encourage the behaviors that drive innovation success. And I love the, you know, the whole concept of the book and, and you know, idea management in itself. And I've actually written a book that's on Amazon around idea management and how you, these ideas can be fostered and how you can find them. Uh, can you tell us about you know, some of the behaviors that you can put in place to make people, try to enable people to be more creative, more innovative? Like, for example, I once came across uh, this uh, pad that you can, waterproof pad that you can put in sh uh, your shower. And supposedly when you're in the shower, that's when your brain is on neutral and you can you know, come up with creative ideas and thoughts. And then you write them down on this waterproof paper in the shower <laughs> and then take it back to the office to, to put into the idea management system or to contribute to the company's innovation. What are the things that you can try and do to foster your, you know, your employees to be more innovative? Uh, Lance, I love the idea, by the way, uh, of the waterproof pad in the shower is it is certainly true. You know, whenever I'm working on, on something random and I'm stuck, I, I just put it inside my unconscious and I say, OK, do your work. And, and it usually is when I'm going on a long walk or where I'm in the shower, where all of a sudden things come together and having a place to capture it certainly helps anyway. So you know, in, in the book, we have 101 examples of these behavior enablers, artifacts, and nudges that can encourage the behaviors that drive innovation success. I won't go through all 101 of them, don't worry, but I will give just three very simple uh, examples from the book. So if you want people to be more customer obsessed, you want them to think more about customers, one simple thing that you can do is borrow from amazon.com. When amazon.com has people working on new ideas, it does not ask them to come up with long PowerPoint presentations describing its ideas or their mm. ideas. Instead, it says, write a future press release that you'll issue when the idea is launched and make sure it starts by the customer and the problem that this idea will solve for the customer. This memo from the future is a good way to encourage customer focus. Another idea that you can steal comes from Adobe, the U.S. software company. If you want to encourage people to be adept in ambiguity, you want to encourage them to experiment, you can borrow Adobe's idea. It's called the Adobe Kickbox. This mm. is a program that if, you're, if you participate in, you get this kind of do-it-yourself kit. You open up the kit and there's all these tips and tools and templates and checklists for how you design and execute experiments. And even more critically, there's a prepaid debit card with a thousand US dollars on it that you can spend without asking for anybody's approval, just making it easier for people to go and run experiments. Mm. Then the, the final one that I'll share is a ritual that is done by Supercell, a Finnish gaming company that is now owned by Tencent. They're working on new games all the time. Sometimes those games succeed. They get out to the Google Play Store, the Apple App Store. Everybody gets together, they crack open a beer to celebrate. Sometimes they fail, they're midway through and they say, we're never gonna make it. 
everybody comes together and they pop a bottle of champagne to celebrate. They say cheers to failure. This does a couple things. Number one, it says that when you innovate, failure is an option. It's okay. It's okay to try things. It's okay to push frontiers. That's part of the process. Note that the thing that you get when you fail, the champagne, is better than the thing that you get when you succeed, the beer. The other thing that this does is it makes clear that the effort is over. One of the biggest enemies of innovation inside organizations is what we call zombie projects, the walking undead, that if you are honest about it, will never have material impact. But because people don't like to connote themselves or connect themselves with failure, the zombies shuffle and linger on. The dare to, I'm sorry, the cheers to failure ritual that Supercell runs makes sure that no zombies are spawned. There are 98 other examples in the book, but mm. those are three simple hacks that people can use to encourage the behaviors that drive innovation success. Hmm. And did you find that you know, the clients that you were dealing with were ch being, you know, ch had challenges in this area? And how did you start to look at all those 101 different, er you know, different ideas to create beans? Uh, you know, was it something that you had a personal interest with or were your companies actually asking Innosight and yourself to come up with ideas to help them assist with that part of their innovation? Yeah, so the, the origin story of the tool traces back to a discussion that I had with one of the book's co-authors, Paul Cobbin, about four years ago now. So Paul is the Chief Data and Transformation Officer at DBS Bank, the largest bank here in Southeast Asia, mm. a bank that has undergone a very, very significant and successful transformation. Ten years ago, it lagged the local market in terms of customer satisfaction. Today, it's regarded as the best bank, not in Singapore, but the best bank in the world. Wow. And a big component of that is a cultural transformation, moving from a slow, stodgy, regulated bank to a place that operates, in the words of its CEO, Piyush Gupta, like a 28,000-person startup. Mm. So anyway, DBS is well along its way of this journey when Paul asked me a question, which is, can we purposefully create a culture by design? You see, DBS had opened up this new development center in Hyderabad in India, and they said, we're in this transformation journey and this new center we're opening. This is a chance to create a showcase of the DBS we're trying to create. So we're going to create this whiz bang office that has all these cool features in it. There'll be foosball tables. There'll be <laughs> kind of funky furniture in it and so on. We're going to hire the best and brightest we can find. We're going to turn on the lights and we'll show people what the new DBS looks like but it didn't work. It turned out it was like the old DBS, but worse. Something just was going wrong about how Hyderabad was set up. Their engagement mm. scores were low, people were complaining and so on. So as we started working with Paul about how you can purposely shape a culture by design, we started researching the things that people did to encourage innovation behaviors. We went and looked at some of the most innovative companies in the world. We read a whole bunch of decks describing the culture at startup companies. We tried to synthesize some of the past work that we had done. We looked at the things that DBS had done in its headquarters. And we began to see this pattern that the things that really work combined together, as said before, the behavior enablers, artifacts, and nudges. Mm. So then at Hyderabad, we said, okay, let's be very clear. Number one, what are the behaviors, the very specific behaviors that you're trying to encourage? An example behavior. We want to be more agile. Therefore, the meetings that we have need to be collaborative. Therefore, we have to be transparent and open in the meetings. Number two, what's blocking you from doing this? Instead of following those behaviors, what are you doing instead? Mm. At DBS Hyderabad, they would find in many cases, people thought that it was taboo to share bad news. So they would sit there and stew in silence. They wouldn't collaborate. They wouldn't be transparent. Agility <laughs> wasn't working very well. 
Mm. Once you've identified the behavior that you're seeking, once you've identified the blocker in the way, that's when you go and create a specific bean. In the case of Hyderabad, one thing they came up with was something called team temp, very simple idea. At the beginning of the week, you have people answer two questions. On a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling? One's bad, 10 is good. And what one word describes your feeling right now? You then get an immediate dipstick view of how everyone's doing and you can talk about it. If everyone's feeling mm. fatigued or angry or whatever, you go and have an open discussion about it, which creates the space to have transparency, which encourages collaboration, which encourages agility. It's not as easy, of course, as a single bean. There was a lot of other work that was done in Hyderabad. But in the course of a year, that organization, that part of the organization had transformed. Its engagement scores lagged the mothership by a significant margin at the beginning. The gap had closed significantly within a year. And Hyderabad began racking up awards as one of the most desirable places to work in India. Mm. So this focused place where we can go and come up with this three-step process, go and synthesize the things we had done through the ideas uh, that we call now a bean was the place that really integrated a lot of things that we had been doing in this space. Hmm. Thank you so much for that, Scott. That make, that really helps uh, me understand it. So would it be about, you know, coming up with what the requirements or what the, the actual targets or goals of the organization are, and then maybe using your 101 beans as sort of a playbook uh, to stimulate the ideas that a company could to, could implement. And then it sounds from your example, from your story, that you actually probably need to come up with something yourself that's unique for, for your particular company. Is that right? Or can you just sort of copy what somebody else has done? And it also hey. sounds like it's con constant experimentation to see what works, what doesn't work, and then you know, to perfect it over time. Yeah, so let me make, make three comments. So the, the first comment, we, we are big believers, as Steve Jobs was, and it was in the Pablo Picasso quote, good artists copy, great artists steal. So look, if you can lift and replace a bean from the book and it mm. helps you do what you're trying to do, by all means do it. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. That, that is point number one. Yeah. Point number two, it, it is worth at least stepping back to say, what exactly are the behaviors that we are seeking to encourage in our organization? You know, the book that we have was built around these five innovative behaviors, being curious, being customer obsessed, collaborative, adept in ambiguity and empowered. And your organization might be trying to do something different. So make sure that you're applying the right problem to the question you're trying to answer. And then the final point, this idea of experimentation, I think is absolutely critical. DBS as part of its cultural transformation actually had a bean to manage its beans. The bean was called culture radar. So DBS had five specific behaviors it was trying to encourage. Agility, being a learning organization, being customer obsessed, data-driven and experimental. The culture radar had five vectors on it. At the edge of the culture radar was an experiment that was being run by an individual or a small group. If that experiment worked, it moved one ring into a department. If that worked, it moved one ring into a business unit. If it worked, it moved one ring into the entire bank. If it didn't, it got taken off the culture radar. So it's a very simple visual to say, are we doing the right experiments around the five behaviors? Are we spreading our effort across all of them? Are we weak in some areas, strong in some areas, et cetera, as a very simple borrowed from agile tool to help manage the experimentation, to help DBS really create the culture that it was seeking. And mm. this stuff all worked, you know, it, 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 there's no silver bullet, there's no shortcut. It was years of effort for DBS to really get to the destination that it got to. But as Piyush Gupta said in the endorsement he wrote, he's their CEO for Eat, Sleep, Innovate, the Beans approach sounds unconventional, but trust me, it works. 
Mm. Um, Scott, you mentioned the five behaviors of innovation. Um, could you tell us what they are again, a little bit slow? Obviously, we need to read the book, Eat, Sleep, Innovate, to get you know full overview of them. But could you tell us what they are again? Yes, absolutely. And, and I'll go slow enough to explain what each of them is and why they're important. So first, our definition of innovation, something different that creates value. And the five behaviors are the ways that help you go and actually do that. So it starts with curiosity. Innovators have to question the status quo. They have to be looking for a way to do something different that creates value. That's as simple as asking questions like, what if, or how might we? Mm. The next behavior is customer obsession. If you ultimately are going to create value, you have to solve a problem that matters for a customer. You know, in a site, in the language that we use, you know the idea of the job to be done, that people don't buy products and services, they hire them to solve problems in their lives. The best way to find problems worth solving is to obsess about customers and spend time with them. Mm. The third behavior is collaboration. The idea here is very simple. If you look at the innovation literature, there's a persistent theme. Magic happens at intersections when different mindsets and skills collide together. None of us, as the saying goes, are as smart as all of us. So find ways to create those collisions. It might be collaborating with people, it might be collaborating with ideas, but find ways to encourage what Linda Hill from the Harvard Business School calls creative abrasion so you can spark new ideas. Mm. The fourth idea I think is pretty well, our fourth behavior is pretty well known to anyone in the innovation field, adept in ambiguity. We know that in the early stages, every idea is gonna be partially right and partially wrong. The way we're going to figure out which part is which is not by planning than acting. It's by testing and learning. It's by smartly experimenting to figure out how we can strengthen our idea. The final behavior is being empowered. You can't do something different that creates value unless you actually do something. So it's not just talking about, it's not just researching, it's not creating PowerPoint slides, it's not building Excel spreadsheets it's actually going to do something with the mindset that, you know, maybe sometimes we're going to ask forgiveness, not permission, and we're going to take initiative and get stuff done. Mm-hmm. So those are, are the five behaviors we describe in the book, and we illustrate them in a kind of non-obvious place with a, a case study from UNICEF, a, a not-for-profit organization, to reinforce the idea that innovation isn't just about the new gadgets that Apple comes up with or whatever new business Elon Musk is thinking about. It really is something that can be done by anyone and it can be done anywhere. Mm, thank you. Thank you for that. Now, uh, on innersight.com, there's a page or a portion of the website dedicated to Eat, Sleep, Innovate. And I'm not saying that people mustn't read the book because they must definitely read the book. But I've never seen a more comprehensive uh, resource that accompanies a book. It's just absolutely unbelievable and that people can find in there. Could you give us an overview of Eat, Sleep, Innovate and the the site? I'll have the the link in the show notes, but what can people find if they go to that part of the website? And Lance, this goes a little bit to our mission. You know, Insight's mission is to empower forward-thinking organizations to navigate disruptive change and own the future. And one of our our core values is transparency. So yes, we have a book and we hope people buy the book, but our, our goal Don't tell the publisher I said this. Our goal isn't necessarily (laughs) to maximize the number of books that we sell. It really is to get the ideas into the hands of as many people as possible. Mm. So on the companion website, we've tried to put as much as we can. So the 101 beans that are in the book are fully downloadable. We've got a a bunch of videos up there from me and the other authors describing our connection to the material. 
We've got a simple assessment you can take, a 20-question assessment that you can take to assess how well your organization is doing, living up to having a culture of innovation. We're in the midst right now of running a virtual book club that takes some of the people who appear in the book and has one-on-one -on -one discussions with them. We're putting the videos of that virtual book club up on the companion website. And of course, we've got links to all the podcasts we're doing. We'll have a link to this one once it gets up there and all the articles that talk about some of the things in the book. And we'll keep putting stuff up there. You know, we're, we're hoping that we can make this somewhat organic and this idea of a bean can really catch on and we can go from the 101 beans that are in the book to maybe hundreds or thousands as real people take the ideas into real organizations and go and come up with their own beans. Uh, I like the LinkedIn beanstorm challenge. <laughs> I'm going to click on the join here button. What, what can people experience if they join the beanstorm challenge? Yeah, so the Beanstorm Challenge, and you have to be a member of the Harvard Business Review Discussion Group. So if you're not, you have to ask them, and they, they let you in. Don't worry. It's not a, uh, not, not a big velvet rope or whatever. But okay. the idea, pretty simply, was to say, you know, can we do a little bit of crowdsourcing to, number one, show people the ideas, and number two, come up with an idea to combat a real problem. And mm. the problem statement we put it in the LinkedIn challenge was, how do we use Beans to create virtual meetings that suck less? So we all know that there are downsides to virtual meetings, and there are some creative solutions to that problem, such as you can go and rent a llama and have a llama join your virtual meeting, which is kind of fun. But the question is, are there routines and rituals and things you can do repeatedly to spice up your virtual meetings? One of the ideas that, that came from the LinkedIn challenge that I really like is something that I've called the cold open. You know, in television, a cold open is when there are no credits, you just start at the beginning and you immediately are, are thrust into the show. The idea here is one of the challenges we have with virtual meetings is there's no space in between meetings. So you just go from meeting to meeting, you click a button, and that moment where you can consolidate things, that moment where you can enter into the space is gone. So the cold open idea is you have something that welcomes people into the meeting space. It might be something like having a gong. It might be the use of a Tibetan singing bowl, but something that's a ritual that creates the space for people to release the old and enter into the new, which uh -huh. I, I think is a really nice, simple way to humanize things just a little bit. And that emerged from the, the LinkedIn beanstorming challenge. Mm. I, I was listening to a podcast and this one lady, uh, to spice things up or to make things interesting, changed her appearance on Zoom to be a potato. And so she, she, but the only trouble was that she didn't know how to change it back. And so for a week or two afterwards at all her serious customer type meetings, she was represented as a potato. So that ended up not working. <laughs> and she was mostly... Like <laughs> Isn't that a, that's, that sounds like the theme of a Kafka novel. I guess it was a cockroach in the, the Kafka novel, but uh, that's uh, 2020, 2020 <laughs> in a nutshell. Sometimes, sometimes you're a potato. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Scott, thank you so much. Um, so how can people get in contact with you? I mean, obviously you're very prolific on LinkedIn and, and I presume you will take requests if people want to contact you on there. Uh, and then just, they'll have the links to the, the website and the show notes so people can see when your next sessions are and um, that they can participate and, and, and be you know, involved with, with the virtual book clubs, et cetera, that you offer. 
Yeah, absolutely. So eatsleepinnovate.com is a great place to start. And as you mentioned, Lance, LinkedIn is the social media platform that I spend the, the most time on. And if you're trying to find me, because there are other Scott Anthony's out there, if you just add in Innosite, so Scott Anthony Innosite, it's pretty easy to find me. But, you know, again, one of the things we're trying to do is find as many ways to get the messages of the, the book out there. And one small advantage of today's digitally dislocated world is you can be anywhere. You know, a, a few weeks ago, I did a, a conference in India. Then I, I did a session in Thailand. I recorded a podcast in Australia. I ran a client event between Japan and Boston, the United States. And I sat at my desk and just kept clicking the button. And believe you me, I, I, miss, I miss the opportunity to go to all of those places. But in normal times, I'd be able to do one of those things in a day, not five. Yes, except I, I find myself doing a lot of work in the evenings now because <laughs> because you might you might be accessible to everyone, but you often aren't in their same time zone, which can be a, a bit of a challenge in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was reflecting on that, Lance. I, I think I have started a meeting at every hour of the twenty four hour clock in Singapore this year. You know, I, I have one tomorrow that starts at two in the morning and whatever, and. and the debate that I've had is, is this better or worse than flying a lot? And to me, at least, it's far better than flying all the time. You know, it's worse <laughs> along some dimensions because you miss the energy from it. But just from a human fatigue aspect, mm -hmm. yes, the, the evenings can grind in you, but so can going through 13 time zones six or seven times a year, which is what I would do in a normal year. So, you know, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, Scott. Um, so thank you so much for joining today and congratulations again on Eat, Sleep, Innovate. I really enjoyed the book. It's been a pleasure talking to you. So thank you so much, Scott, uh, for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Lance. Really enjoyed it. And I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. Um, I'll have all of Scott's details, as I said, in the show notes. My uh, email is, if you want to contact me, is lance at ideastorm.co.za. So and please do send me details about the show, what you'd like to hear about, which authors you'd like me to interview, all those type of things. So lance at ideastorm.co.za. So until next time, goodbye, everybody. 